The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 1101 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you got P Nate and Pooty. I don't even know what to call myself anymore. I've got so you many have more nicknames. nicknames than Superman. That's a terrible joke. Does Superman have that many nicknames? <laughs> the first name that came to mind. I had nothing in my hopper. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I, I had nothing to go on. It's for, the first name for a young man, you, you use very old words. Have you ever? It's because you read dead guys all the time. That's, this is what yeah, I'm, that's this fair. is my theory. That's fair. We are the rebels, though, and we, we are, are happy that We're you're here. back with us for episode 101, I think, which is pretty sick. Um, we are. Can we re- just talk about how the hundredth episode came and went, and we didn't mention it at all? Now, I guess now we're mentioning it, but we just, we just. Did we forget that it was the 100th episode? I did. Did you? No, I kind of think in terms of like time frame that we've been doing this. Mm. So like. We had anniversary. Exactly. Like not so much the episode numbers, like February is when we started two years ago. So like February is when I kind of coming up on the two year anniversary as opposed to episode numbers. Yeah. That's kind of the way I look at it. That's fair. Season one, season two, we're about to start season three. Like that's kind of the way I look at it. I gotcha. And we don't celebrate it because it's not in the Bible to tell us to celebrate. Regulative principle of worship. We don't, (laughs) we don't celebrate hundredth episodes. (laughs) We just don't do it. Let all those, come on. Let all those hack podcasts talk (laughs) about those things. This is the rebels. We don't do that stuff here. do that like uh, no birthdays either what <laughs> we, we do other stuff like making fun of articles and I, i'm sorry i'm just going to jump into this okay, article right. because i know we're not at rebel news yet but i got to tell you this so i'm reading this article from um premier.org.uk which probably should have been my first hint <laughs> but okay so get this um here's the headline for this article smartphones risk paving the way for the antichrist Head of Russia Church warns. <laughs> it's an article that was written yesterday by a guy named Alex Williams. Uh, okay, so the widespread use of smartphones risks paving the way for the arrival of the Antichrist, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church has claimed. So this, this is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. Um, so his name is Patriarch, which is kind of funny in and of itself. So his name is Patriarch Kirill. And he said, the church does not oppose technological advancements, but, quote, the internet-connected devices create the possibility for universal control over humanity, end quote. And then the article goes on to say, during an interview on Russian state television, he said the gadgets allow someone to, quote, know exactly where you are, know exactly what you're interested in, and know exactly what you're afraid of. He continued, Such control from one place forebodes the coming of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a person that will head the World Wide Web controlling all of humanity. That means the structure itself poses danger. 
There shouldn't be, so now these are just all quotes from his sermon in which he addressed this. There shouldn't be a single center, at least not in the foreseeable future, if we don't want to bring on the apocalypse. (laughs) I can't even keep going. That's all I get. So um, any listener who has a smartphone you are aiding and abetting the arrival of the Antichrist. We just want you to know. Yeah, so like, let's just... Public service announcement. <laughs> let's just point out a couple of things. You're probably listening to this on your smartphone. Yeah. Um, in this room right now, there is so much technology you would be blown away. I'm on an iPad and a cell phone at this moment in time. So basically, I'm I'm the worst person there is because yeah. I'm ushering in the... Ushering. <laughs> you are paving the road. You're literally paving the road this, this that is, the Antichrist will walk down. Yeah, this is unbelievable. This, this is why... <laughs> bad theology played out to the conclusions yeah no is, yeah i i agree i agree and so this is <clears throat> we're very thankful for non-consistent dispensationals um but this is what happens when dispensationals get consistent right and and they walk out their worldview to its logical conclusion um and uh and it might seem crazy but it's actually interestingly more logical if dispensationalism was true than a lot of the kind of inconsistent dispensationalists who we see out there actually fighting abortion and fighting uh, cultural evils. So we just thought that was funny. Good way to start the episode. Can 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 we just play out a, like, a scenario that will probably happen in our lifetime? What's that? When chips go into people's arms to like make payments. Oh man, people are going to lose their minds. I, I actually think we might get kicked out of the, like not just you and me, but I mean like post millennials in general <laughs> might just be have to like all band together and make one church, which would be awesome for the record. But because like none of us will care. We'll all do it. Probably like yeah, I would assume I, I'm, I, I'm fine I, with I, it. No problem. But like, Everybody else in the church is going to look at us like we are taking the mark. No. Okay. Now let's just be clear here. Like I have no problem with the concept of like paying, like having a debit card in my arm or something. Right. Like I have no problem with the concept of that. Um, I mean, I wouldn't do it simply because you know, that's going to be controlled from some central government location. And I don't, I don't believe an antichrist is coming, but I just don't want the government to have that much like you know, control over me. Yeah, I don't want to, I, I don't do it because I don't like an needles. <laughs> it's just because I don't like Trudeau. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like it, it looks like just a way for government overreach, right? And privacy concerns and stuff like that. But it wouldn't be because uh, it's the mark of the beast or anything like that. But yeah, so this is, I agree. I, people are losing their minds over stuff like this. And uh, and here's, you know, a consistent dispensational who is, uh, I, I like how we put the caveat. We don't, we're not against technological advancement, but it is bringing about the the apocalypse. So, but but what's interesting about their whole worldview is like, that's okay. Yeah. Right? Because they, they want that because exactly. the rapture is going to come and save us all anyway. Right. So exactly. it's just an interesting can't imagine living in that headspace anymore. Okay, so on a more on a more serious rebel news. Um, okay, so on uh, Tuesday, so this is you know from when we're recording, so this will be about a week out by the time um, this airs. <clears throat> there's a new uh, president of Planned Parenthood named uh, Dr. Leanna Wen, and uh, and so she finally admitted that the mission of Planned Parenthood is to provide abortions. Which is interesting because the previous the previous um, president always talked about you know wanting to provide health care and health care and abortions are just ten percent of what we do here and all that kind of stuff. But it was interesting. So when who uh, had, did an article with BuzzFeed um, felt like she was misrepresented on BuzzFeed because BuzzFeed article made it sound like Planned Parenthood does all these other things, and so she actually tweeted out. Um, let me find it here. 
uh, our organization's vision is committed to providing abortions and reproductive health care. So there, there she goes. She very, very plainly said it. And then in a response to a couple of things that came up, she says, our core mission is providing, protecting, and expanding access to abortion and reproductive health care. So uh, I, I say that simply because I think, I think we're getting to a good place in the fight against abortion when those advocating for abortion are owning owning it. And I think that's good because I think that's going to actually polarize a whole lot of people who, you know, there's a lot of Christians who are wishy-washy on this subject and they'll say things like, I think it's a really hard decision and who am I to say anything and blah, blah, blah. And they won't stand on the word of God that just says, don't murder. Um, so I think this is actually good when um, the opponents will own their position. And you even get the point where there's a lot of people who medically can't um, fight the, you know, the, the whole lump of cells, clump of cells, sack of cells argument just doesn't hold sway anymore now with 3D ultrasounds and all that kind of stuff. So, so now they're at the point where they say, no, 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 it is, it is killing a life but I'm okay with that because women's rights. And so I think we're getting to a good place in the fight against abortion because they're at least owning their position somewhat honestly. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because uh, the rhetoric has changed around right. it. We've, I've totally. noticed, like, we've noticed a shift in Canada, but we've also noticed a shift just on social media and on other platforms where, like you're saying, like, it's not so much about, like, a, a, like, um, a medical procedure or anything like that. Now it's now it's almost celebrating. Like I don't care that I've had an abortion. What are right. you going to say about? Well, it? there's that whole hashtag movement, like shout your abortion and stuff, where people. Yeah, are, I think that's I think that's where where yeah. it's like I've, what I've seen. I couldn't remember the. It's basically people who have taken had abortion sharing their testimony, right? It's like here's my here's my abortion testimony of you know how how I was saved by my abortion, right? Like honestly, that's what it is. It's like my salvation came because I was brave enough to kill my child is, is essentially what it comes down to. And like, now I'm happy and healthy and in a good headspace and all this kind of stuff because I murdered my baby. Yeah, I, I, because I've committed murder, I'm a more happy person. The the yeah. the selfishness that that po- oh, points out, and I think everybody everybody knows selfishness is wrong, and like putting yourself above somebody else is naturally wrong. And so that's why I think you're we're seeing a good divide, like you said, because when the rhetoric has changed from it being like something that we can all sort of rationalize, like well, it's a health issue, it's it's things like that. When it just becomes like it was a good choice for me. Yep. It very much drives even the people who aren't standing, like who are in between, who aren't saying no to abortion based on the, the Bible or anything like that. But they're seeing the reason people are doing it now is just completely for their own yep. self self <laughs> convenience. Exactly. Yeah. That's a better. That's a good word for it. There, where I think it's it's polarizing people, and I think polarizing sometimes is a great idea because it puts very much all those ideas in everybody's head and people are having to talk about them and fight about them. And we know we stand on the word of God in this, in this instant, which is, is truth, which we're going to talk about later, which means ultimately that's going to win the argument. Right. Right. So, right. Man. All right, you had a piece of Rebel News you wanted to share too. I haven't heard it yet. Yeah, it actually goes uh, pretty good with what you actually brought up. I just read this. This article just came out today from the Washington Examiner um, where the governor of New York, Andrew Como, um, wants to expand the right to kill your unborn child even further. So currently in New York, you can have an abortion up to 24 weeks in, av- in advance. Yep. Which, by the way, um, is the seventh most lenient abortion rights in the world. Um, that's on par with countries like North Korea. Um, on par with, uh, like, I can't remember, there's a list of countries. North Korea, China, um, and a few other countries that allow, allow you to yeah. abort all the way up. What are, the, to- 
What's one of the countries that's even worse, Chris? <laughs> Canada. Canada. We, we don't have a law. We don't you have You can laws. just do whatever you want. Yeah, it's free it's, reign up here. It's free. It's free. Just cross the border. We'll yeah. do it. It's open season, as they say. It's Jeez. terrible. It's a, yeah. we, we make a joke of it, but it's not, it's no. not funny. Um, so he wants to expand this to the point where he's about to... Um, basically sign his state budget and he's refusing to sign the state budget unless these bills get passed, not only passed instituted. Sorry, what's into, the bill again? The bill is to allow women to have abortions all the way up to the very end. So like, right. Partial birth abortions. Exactly. Yeah, so collapse the head in the um, womb before giving birth. Exactly. Which basically puts it at the top, like with yeah. China and everywhere and Canada, and, and Canada. Uh, which is unbelievable to me. Anyway, he's refusing to sign the state's budget. So he's refusing in essence to do his job unless they pass this bill for him, right. basically. So, so here's what I would say. I, um, I mean, Como is a, not the kind of politician I would want. <laughs> um, he, um, but here's what I'll say about him is he's putting Republicans and Christians to shame in his convictions, right? So, I mean, here he is, he's, and he's drawing a line in the sand. It's the wrong lines, the wrong sand. It's the wrong hill to die on, um, insert other mixed metaphors, but he, he actually has some guts here. And so I hate what he's doing. And, um, you know, the wrath of God will be poured out for, you know, uh, individuals who support the murder of innocent children like this. But Christians need to take a play out of the uh, Democratic playbook because the Democrats are way more bold. The the liberals are way more bold, way more um, convinced of their position and willing to fight for their values than Christians and Republicans are. It's ridiculous. So you look at, you know, whether it's Colorado and Washington uh, in, in their their ability, their willingness to fight the federal government on marijuana laws or, you know, California and their willingness to fight the federal government on uh, being a s- sanctuary state or Democratic, you know, pro-abortionists like Como, who's willing to not sign a budget unless um, they, um, you know, bow to his wishes. I, I see a whole lot more courage on the Democratic side of the aisle than I do on the Republican side. Yeah, it's, I completely agree with you. John Piper has a quote that I, that's been sticking with me and I can't seem to shake it for the last little while. And, that, and this is a good, uh, a good tie into boldness. And it's like, and the quote is, is by John Piper is, um, in the future, culture will look back on Christians today yeah. the same way we today as Christians look back on the slave traders because they're right now people are killing our babies and we're doing nothing to stop it. Yeah, totally. And when we say nothing, there are um, that's not a blanket statement because obviously we like there are people who are campaigning against it. There's the end abortion now uh, movement, but the vast majority of people who claim evangelical Christianity aren't actually donating money to this cause, aren't protesting or doing anything enough as much as we could be doing by getting in touch with our, like you're saying, getting in touch with our politicians, letting them know where the majority or what we feel on the subject and starting getting to these things so we can start making the process. Another thing I thought on, on this one, I just wanted to to share with you just an objection I had when I was talking about this with a person this week is they said that um, if abortions, a human rights is a, is, is a woman's issue, right? Um, Interesting, if you remove it from the criminal code like we have in Canada, there's no laws about it. It actually takes away one one of women's rights uh, to basically prosecute people in this situation. So think of it from this perspective. 
there are sex traffickers, which are already, which is already a crime. Prostitution, that's already a crime. There, there are people who are forced to have abortions to continue in these trades. By decriminalizing abortion, we've actually removed one of the avenues that they can do to basically prosecute those men mm. and who are doing these things to right. them because it's not illegal for them to force somebody to have an abortion now at this point mm. because there's no law for it. So I can force my wife, not that I would, but if I, I could force as a husband, force my wife to have an abortion or force. So that be by decriminalizing it, you're actually hurting women's rights right. more than just putting it like, yeah. so it's an interesting a, like, yeah. like inconsistency there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, and yeah, anyway, we could go on forever about that, but, uh, there's some things that are going on in the world around us. Um, <clears throat> we're actually going to start, uh, this week, a, a short little mini series. Uh, so we did a, an episode a few, I guess, months back, two Feels months like back, months, but might not be that long, but we talked about some of the blind spots in the church. What are some of the the cultural things that Christians have fallen on, or sorry, doctrinal things that Christians have slipped on um, that are areas in the church where core doctrines of our faith are, are under attack? Um, and uh, we, we we listed five of them. Um, do you remember what all, all five of them are? I'm, I'm putting you on the spot now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we said... Um, inerrancy. Inerrancy. Um, mar- marriage, so uh, like marriage and gender, uh, gender. Oh, sorry, marriage, um, homosexuality. Men- gender was another one. And um, the doctrine of hell, right? And I'm missing one, I think. Yeah, inerrancy, so, marriage. And then there was another oh, social one. justice. And, right, right, right. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna actually go over in the next because we we talked about those five things and there were a lot of people who asked us to kind of elaborate on each one of them, um, so that we could uh, kind of delve a little deeper than we did in kind of a, a cursory or, or overview episode. So uh, we're gonna to do that today and we're going to start with inerrancy uh, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about inerrancy hey it's dave the tech guy here happy new year from all of us at rebel alliance media the rebels have lots of new ideas lined up for 2019 and most of them are great so tell your friends about us Send them a link to rebelalliancemedia.com. Tell them they need to be listening every week. You can do even more to help the Rebels by clicking the donate button on our website. You can interact with the Rebels on Facebook, Twitter, or email. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome back. Um, so like, like, we, like we said right before break, um, today we're going to be talking about biblical inerrancy. And we're a podcast that prides itself on helping you engage culture. And to be right up front, this is one of those things that we, every conversation I have, every conversation we have with non-Christians, this is eventually going to come up, is the idea that, well, why can you trust the Bible? The Bible has errors. The Bible has X, Y, and Z. The, the doctrine of inerrancy is, an, is a vastly important one for us to understand as Christians if we are to engage culture based on the word that, of God that we've been given. Um, so let's just make sure we're all thinking about the same term when we say biblical inerrancy. So what we mean by that is the belief that the Bible is without error or fault in all of its teachings. Um, that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that's contrary to the fa- to that fact. Um and so basically we're, we're saying the Bible doesn't have any mistakes, right? That there's nothing in there that's in error. It's not wrong about anything. It's not wrong about anything. 
And and specifically, so a, a concise way to say that is simply the Bible is true in all that it teaches, right? So so like um, there there would be some people who would say, oh well, look, you know, um, Psalms talks about the four corners of the earth, right? And you have whole <laughs> you have a whole subculture of people who are dead wrong uh, about a flat earth, and um, they're they're taking this this piece of scripture that's meant as poetic language, but the Bible isn't trying to teach about the shape of the earth in that particular text. That's a poetic use, and and the point of the psalm is quite different. So in everything that it it is teaching, it's true. So the Bible isn't a science textbook, although there's certain things that we can um, learn about science from it. It's not a, a primarily a, even uh, a, a, a history or an anthropology textbook. Um, so you have to look at what is it trying to teach, and in what it's trying to teach, it's it's without error. Yeah, like an, ex- an example of this is if I said, um, I'm going to be right home to my wife. I'm not going to walk through the door in 10 seconds. I might take five minutes, but in the context of what I'm saying, that it's true like I'm going to be home right right, right away. Or or another example in in Second Kings, there's a a description of um, an object in the temple, and uh, it talks about the circumference of it being um, you know three, and we know that pi is three point one four, yada 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 yada. We know that pi. So like the the radius of the of the circle, and basically um, the. Uh, the measurement in the the book of Kings there rounds the the number for pi to three. Well, there'd be a lot of people who would look at that and say, "Oh, see, the Bible is it has an error in it. That's a mathematical error." Well, number one, pi is actually an infinite number. So if the Bible wanted to be right about that, it would take an infinite number of pages. You actually <laughs> couldn't give the precise number. But more than that, the Bible's not there to teach you what pi is. This is it. it the the point of that particular passage is about the objects in the temple and describing the temple and it's uh, rounding the particular number four pi to three uh, one third basically and that's uh, and that's you know and we would say that doesn't that doesn't disqualify biblical inerrancy because um, that particular text isn't about the number of pi it's about uh, the temple and the, the objects in the temple yeah I think the, I think the point that you have to remember when you're reading the Bible if it is it is the lang- what's the language being used there is it just common use of language like lingu- so like when I say there's there are there was about 8,000 men. doesn't mean there was exactly 8,000 men. Right. It could have been 8,005, 8,020, 7,895. You know what I mean? It's about 8,000 because that's everybody who I'm writing this to would know, well, that's a big number. It's about 8,000. Right. Or was it specifically saying, and the number of those things was 8,771. Like you have to remember when you're reading the Bible, what type of book you're reading, what type of language is being used because there are things that we can say that are that are correct when we're using the right language because linguistics do change, if that makes sense. Right, right. So, so let's so, dig into it. Sure, yeah. There's um, th- Basically, there's, uh, there's three things that I would say that um, are, I guess, three kind of errors that Christians fall into if they don't hold the biblical inerrancy. So, for example, um, the first one is that the Bible itself claims to be perfect, 
right? So um, the first thing that we, we need to understand about the Bible is that we don't have, we can't stand on the Bible and say we believe it and it's authoritative um, and then not listen to what it actually says. And the Bible itself claims to be perfect, right? So uh, Psalm 12, uh, verse 6, it talks about, uh, and the word of the Lord is flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. Um, Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. Or Proverbs 30 says, every word of God is pure. Um, and you know we we all know the Second uh, Timothy three sixteen that all Scripture is God breathed right it's profitable for teaching for reproof and for correction training and righteousness and all that stuff so we know that there are passages and uh, and uh, that the I think it's Psalm one thirty two where it says God is uh, elevated above all things His name and His word so there's all these all these passages that that talk that Scripture itself claims to be perfect. So you can't hold to scripture without taking what scripture says about itself to be true. So number one, the Bible itself claims to be perfect. The second thing I would say is that the Bible stands or falls as a whole, right? You can't, you can't take part of it and believe part of it and then not believe another part of it. And this is, this is actually where you and I get into a lot of our, I'll say, arguments with other Christians where they might disagree with a particular position we take. And when we use the Bible to argue, as we all should, they'll say, well, that that was cultural. That was this. I don't believe that. And it's like, well, you, you can't take part of the Bible to be true and, and the other part not to be true because otherwise, like, what's your hermeneutic? What's your, what's your way of understanding that? How do you pick and choose? Because that's what you're doing. You're picking and choosing. So, um, you know, the Bible stands or falls as a whole. Because again, the Bible claims that it it stands or falls as a whole. There's right that we're going through a series in our church right now about the entire story of the Bible. It's one big story, and the whole story points to Jesus. And um, you can't take bits and pieces out of it because it works together as a whole. And then the, the the third thing I would say is that the Bible is a reflection of its author, just like all books are. So every every book kind of reflects its author in some way, either, either the author's character or his morality or his... Um, you know, uh, his, his mind, his intellect, his imagination, his creativity, whatever it is. And so the Bible is a reflection of its author. And if, again, scripture says itself that all scripture is breathed out by God, then we have to look at God himself as the author of scripture and God is perfect. And so if scripture is, is a reflection of God himself, then scripture itself is perfect. So those are three things that I think, uh, you know, as Christians, those are three ways of thinking about why inerrancy must be true, because number one, the Bible claims it's inerrant. Number two, it either stands or falls as a whole. So we either take those parts that says it's perfect or you take none of it. And then lastly, the the Bible itself claims authorship of God. So again, if you're taking the Bible uh, uh, literally, um, then uh, it is a reflection of his author, which the Bible claims God is the author of it and God himself is perfect. So those are that's kind of the, the road I walk people down when I'm teaching or talking about inerrancy yeah no problem so let me let me throw out the, the most common objection we get to that then sure because once we start saying the bible says that it says this about itself yep. the the natural common objection that we run into when we're talking about this with people is that they say well that's a circular argument because the authority you're saying that the word of god is the word of god is based on the word of god right and which means we just get into a loop how would you answer somebody who, who use that as an uh like an objection to you so um, first of all, I would say that uh, you actually can't. So all all arguments about authority become circular, 
Um, so that's the first thing I would say. So I would just say, well, what's your authority and how do you know that that's an authority, right? So, and, and ultimately in a postmodern world, what most of those conversations will amount to is somebody's personal opinion, right? And, and so the problem with that, of course, is everybody has different personal opinions. And so they, you know, truth would collide, my truth, your truth, all that kind of stuff. So um, anytime you're appealing to an authority, it's always going to be circular, that that's just the way it is. At some point, there has to be a, a an authority that you put outside of the system, and uh, it's still going to be circular. But there's no appeal to authority that's not circular because you know what's the appeal to that authority. So first of all, I would just show somebody that every appeal to an authority is circular. Um, the second thing I would say is there's for me at least there are six reasons, and I I can help you remember this just by using your own fingers. Um, there are six reasons that I think that the Bible self-authenticates, right? There's actually a really good book by John Piper. I can't remember the name of it. It's, I think it's one of his most recent books. I just read it um, about the self-authenticating scriptures that, that, that the Bibles are, are self-authenticating. It's a, it's a phenomenal book. Um, but I've always used this kind of mnemonic device. So if you look at all of your fingers, and I'll just walk you through this. I only have five fingers, Nate. Trust me, I'll get you a sixth. <laughs> Just a minute. <laughs> Sounds horrible. Okay, so if you look at the pinky, your 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 small finger, it's the the pinky finger, and so you think P is uh, stands for prophecy. So the first reason that the Bible is self-authenticating is because of the prophecy in it that is fulfilled. And you can look at all kinds of things. You can look at the the prophecies concerning Jesus, the Messiah, and how many of the the prophecies about Jesus came true in the life of Jesus. Um, you can look at um, I, one of my favorites is to look at uh, the book of Daniel and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter two, and how that kind of outlines a lot of history in terms of the rise and fall of empires. Uh, another one is uh, Isaiah. 45, where um, 150 years before he was even born, uh, Isaiah names Cyrus, king of Persia, um, as God's anointed one. So there are a couple uh, places where, um, you know, you look at the the prophecies concerning Gog and Magog, which are uh, fulfilled, I believe, in the book of Esther um, from Ezekiel 37, 38, or whatever that is. Um, and so you look at um, some of the prophecies of Scripture and how they were fulfilled after they were written. So there's there's predictions that turned out to be true. So there's something supernatural about predictions. This is not like Nostradamus where he's, you know, 90% right 5% of the time kind of thing, right? Um, this is like um, very precise um, prophecies about the rise and fall of empires or about a, a particular king of a particular nation's name 150 years before he's even born. So you look at the the fulfillment of prophecy as one of the supernatural elements that points to the authentic authentication of scripture. Um, the second thing you look at, your the next finger on your hand is your ring finger. And so when you think of your ring finger, you think of unity. And uh, uh, the Bible is, um, you know, over 40 authors of 66 different books, all uniformly um, uh, painting a picture of who God is and his plan of redemption and salvation. You think about now, like you can't get 10 Christians in a room who agree on the attributes of God and his plan for salvation. And yet here you have kings, shepherds, um, peasants, you have fishermen, you have philosophers, you have historians, all these different authors writing at different places in different cultures at different times throughout uh, human history, all telling one unified story of who God is. 
so the the unity of scripture um the uh the third finger on your hand there is the the big finger uh so think big finger big questions so every worldview or every um scripture every authoritative book um claims to answer the big questions of life right where are we who are we where do we come from what's the purpose in life where's history going all that kind of stuff and um i would say that the bible answers those questions those big questions of life um in a way that rings far more true to reality so i remember when i was kind of walking away from the christian faith and looking for other worldviews i for a long time i i tried to delve into buddhism and and at the end of the day um, Buddhism, when it looks at the at human suffering and evil in the world, it says, you know, suffering is an illusion. And, you know, for somebody who at the time was going through a lot of difficulty in my life, um, there's something that doesn't ring true about a worldview that says, oh, all, all your suffering is just an illusion, right? Um, and so all of the various worldviews try to answer the big questions in different ways, but um, I think the Bible answers those big questions in a way that rings more true. Um, your next finger on your uh, little hand there is uh, your index finger. So think index, think index to history. Interestingly, the Bible is a historical book that is very, very accurate in its, uh, in its historicity. Um, you look at certain, um, I think it was the Amorites were, you know, a culture that uh, historians looked at the Bible and said, well, clearly, oh no, it was the Hittites. Um, and they looked at uh, the Hittites in scripture and said, based on geographical location, all this kind of stuff, um, the Hittites never existed. This is just a made up people. And for years that was used and, and thrown at Christian scholars as something that would um, discredit the Bible and the history of the Bible. And then sure enough, more archeological discovery happened. The Hittites were found. Not only were they found, but they were found to be exactly when and exactly where the Bible claims they were. You look at recent discoveries of um, Jericho and of Sodom and Gomorrah and stuff like that. The Bible answers a lot of these history questions a lot uh, better than um, than anything else. And so, um, yeah, uh, the Bible is an index to history. Um, you look at your thumb. Uh, in uh, the Roman Colosseum, Caesar used to either give the thumbs up, thumbs down on whether or not somebody died, right? And so we think about uh, the- We're all picturing gladiator right now. Exactly, yeah. Claudius. Um, and uh, and so we think thumbs up, thumbs down in terms of uh, what to do with somebody's life. And uh, so the thumb reminds us that the Bible actually changes lives. So we have now uh, a couple thousand years of of history on our side of people who lived amazing lives, uh, transformed lives, drunks who became sober, um, you know, abusive husbands who who became caring husbands, um, you know, selfish individuals who became selfless individuals, people who were motivated by the glory of God, who uh, saw an abolition to the slave trade and all kinds of stuff. Why? Because this book gripped them in such a way and changed their lives in such a way that they um, totally transformed uh, the trajectory of their lives. And then the last thing I would just say is if you take all of your fingers and you move them into a fist, you'll get your sixth uh, reminder, and that is uh, the, the Bible's a fighter. And uh, I think it was Voltaire, the, the French philosopher, who said, um, you know, 100 years from um, me penning this, the Bible will be eradicated, Christianity will be eradicated, and the only place that you can find uh, a Bible is in a museum. 
and uh, interestingly, Voltaire uh, died, and uh, and of course, uh, uh, it was a preacher who bought his study and began to um, write sermons on his study. And so, uh, you know, it's the the time of uh, Voltaire's prediction has come and gone. Throughout the years, there have been all kinds of people trying to discredit Scripture. Uh, you look at Christopher Hitchens, who spent his entire life trying to discredit the Scriptures, and he died, um, and he's come and gone, and his life amounted to nothing because. Christianity is just as strong today as it was before he started his campaign against the Bible. So um, those are like not not any one of those things um, proves that the Bible is self-authenticating. But I think if you put all those things together, um, it paints a picture of a Bible that uh, is is self-authenticating. It, it speaks of its divine nature. And I think that there's no other book or philosophy in the world that can claim those kinds of things. Yeah, I think that I think there's a very interesting. There's another way for Christians to authenticate this too. When you read the like, when you read the the Bible, the Holy Spirit confirms these things to you. Yes, I mean it wells up in the story. You know it's true when you're reading it because, like, as Romans tells us, we all know there's a God and we suppress that truth. Well, for the Christian who's been born again, when we read the words of God. It springs to life in us. It right. teaches us stuff. It reveals things to us. No other book convicts us the way the the way the scriptures do. No other no other book, like you said. I thought I thought uh, point point to three and point five were just so good there. Where it's like no other book answers the big questions of the, of life in the way that our souls ring true to it. Right. And no other no other book has the power to change lives. We can read as many self help books as we want. But they don't change lives. They might change behaviors, right? But they don't change lives. Where the Bible changes lives, it makes people who were fundamentally one thing something fundamentally different. Right. And obviously, that's the work of the Spirit using the book to do that. But I think I think that's one of those things when we're when you're if you're a doubter, if you're a doubting Thomas, as they say, <laughs> when you're reading Scripture, the Scriptures will self-authenticate to your to them when you're reading them yourselves. I think, right? Um, which. Which leads us to another point. I just I, I wanted to bring up. We probably should have talked about that at the very beginning because the other big objection is that we've it, okay. People will grant we can't pick and choose what what we say the is in the the Bible, what Jesus said, and all that stuff. But they could they say we picked and choose what we made the Bible out of. Right. Um. So I basically just wanted to point out like a couple quick points that I that I found that I found very helpful in these arguments is that yes, that there there are these books. Were, were put together after after the time, but but when we're looking at the Old Testament, for instance, um, even even at the time when the Old Testament scriptures were being fulfilled, the Jewish people didn't believe any of the other books. Any other books than the ones that are in the Old Testament were supposed to be included. Right. So the books of like Maccabee and any of the other books, these the books that we have in the Old Testament were affirmed even as they were being written to be the words of God. They were taken at face value because they were written by prophets. They were written as they were, as if they were scripture. Secondly, the, the New Testament never quotes any of the books that are outside of the canon. It quotes the Old Testament 295 times. It never quotes the Apocrypha once. Um, and then sim- simply, those other books never claim to be scripture, where scripture, as you said, claims to be scripture. Yeah. And I think I think that helps when you start to realize that, like, the Bible claims to be the authentic and inerrant word of God in in itself, but it never, no other books are claiming that either, right? right? So none of the books that are not chosen or, or been discarded ever claim what the Bible claims of itself already, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the differences. The Bible claims to be a book 
from God about himself as opposed to a book written by people about God. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and if you want to dig deeper into the canonization of scripture and whether or not we can trust how, how books got selected and whether or not what we have is, is reliable and all that kind of stuff, that's way beyond the peripheral of what we can do in, in, in a single podcast, but there's a really good lecture series, a really good lecture series. And they're a bit, it's a bit long. It's, I think it's like 20 lectures, um, by Dr. Michael Kruger, um, who is a professor at uh, reform theological seminary. And uh, it's just called The Origin and Authority of the New Testament Canon. Um, The Origin and Authority of the New Testament Canon. Maybe I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, But it's uh, Dr. Michael Kruger, and uh, it's 20 lectures on whether or not we can trust the process by which um, uh, books got selected and whether or not we can trust the manuscript evidence. And I mean, mean, just so that in in case anybody hasn't heard this, I feel like a lot of people have heard this, but like, um, you know, when you look at um, the works of, you know, um, Plato, for example, um, you know, the, the works of Plato, he, he lived about, uh, 400 years before Christ and the earliest copies of his writing that we have are, are from 900 AD, which means there's about a 1200 year span between when the documents were written and the earliest copies that we actually have. And we only have eight copies, <laughs> eight copies of, um, those manuscripts uh, which, which and, and yet nobody claims that Plato didn't exist or that his teaching isn't a, a good uh, in, or that what we have isn't a good indication of what he actually taught. Um, and you can look at this for all kinds of things like, um, you know, uh, you look at the, the history of the Gaelic Wars and uh, the, the historicity of Julius Caesar and all that kind of stuff. Again, you have about um, 1,200 years between the earliest manuscript we have and when it was actually written or when uh, uh, those things took place. And we have less than 12 copies of, of this. When you look at the New Testament, you're looking at um, approximately, you know, depending on whether or not you take some of the new manuscript evidence that's come out, somewhere between 20 and 30 years discrepancy between when these documents were written and when the earliest copies of the manuscripts that we still have are like 20 to 30 years as opposed to 1200 years and we have over 27,000 New Testament manuscripts or like full or partial Um, so it's just it you know the the reliability and and I believe again this is a, a sovereign God and to be honest with you so some people might question and actually James White has a whole bunch of stuff on this if you just go to YouTube and look up James White on authority or reliability rather of scripture uh, and he talks about how one of the ways that he believes a sovereign God self-authenticated his word to us is by providing such a plethora of manuscripts so when you think about twenty-seven thousand new testament manuscripts that can all be compared to one another and and so if this was ever going to be changed or altered by some conspiracy theory by you know by the apostles to start a new religion where they all got healthy and wealthy and prosperous (laughs) even though they all died horrible martyrs deaths if that's your claim then you have 27,000 manuscripts that agree with one another standing in your way of believing that. So um, D- James White does some phenomenal work on that. Uh, Dr. Michael Kruger, those are some of the resources that I would uh, recommend in terms of if you want to look into the reliability of the, of the actual Bible that we have. Yeah, I think I think that's great, and like like I said, we we could get really into that topic, and that would be fun for I think 
some of us, but like five people, <laughs> five people. But what this, what this doctrine really like you need to grasp with this doctrine is, is how it helps you. Yeah. Um, and so I think if we look at like, why does it matter that the Bible is inerrant? Why does that matter to our culture? Why does it matter to our relationships? It's because one gives us a guidebook, a playbook of how to live our lives. It answers the big questions, like you said, but it also means that we can, we can know when we say things that what we're saying is truth. Right. So, if the Bible wasn't an Aaron, so like let's see, if the Bible wasn't an Aaron, then when I say Jesus rose from the dead, I can't be right. sure that it's true. Exactly. Which means I can't be sure when I say that all that call out in faith and trust will be saved. I can't say that's true. I can't trust in God's sovereignty in the midst of difficulty if the Bible isn't is it is fallible and doesn't isn't an error. Hundred percent. These documents are f- like are the documents. These uh, doctrines are fundamental to the way we live our lives as Christians, and so. The reason it's such a big deal that this is under attack in our churches is because it's it's striking at the foundation of what we've put our trust in. Right. And and so, which is an interesting, we, we've talked a lot about Bruxy Cavey um, on the podcast in previous months and yep. last year. Um, I say last year, it was like a month ago. Um, <laughs> but like, this is one of the things that he would attack. Yes. He would say that Absolutely. Jesus is inerrant. But the words of God in the Bible itself aren't inerrant, right? And that's and that's a fundamental the, like a part heresy. of the problem is how do you know that Jesus is inerrant? Because Scripture says, <laughs> like, how do you know all authority you know in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus? Because the Scriptures tell you that. In and this Bible. is the problem: the minute you reject anything, if the Bible, so let me just talk to the skeptic right now. You're just sitting there and you have something in your mind. Let's just say it's homosexuality, because if you have a problem with this, it probably is, right? That's probably one of the things. If the Bible is wrong about homosexuality, how do you know it's not wrong about the atonement? How do you know when you stand before God that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you and your sins were forgiven on the cross? You don't know. If the Bible's wrong about homosexuality, it can be wrong about the atonement. If the Bible is wrong about um, gender, if the Bible is wrong about any any small minute thing, if the Bible is wrong about if if the Bible is is wrong about um, the the historicity of Israel. How do you know it's not wrong about the historicity of the resurrection, right? So all of these things are connected. And that's what we mean when we say that the Bible stands or falls as a whole. If, if certain things are wrong, how do you know it's not all wrong? And you, 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 just, you, can't, you can't pick and choose. You either take what it says about itself to be true and believe it and allow it to renew your mind as it says it will, or you allow it to all fall because you can't pick and choose because the moment you say, well, it's wrong about this one thing, you don't know what else it's wrong about. Yeah. And, 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 and eternity hangs in the balance. Exactly. And if you're, and if you're answering the question, if you're thinking to yourself, yeah, but I still don't like what it says about these things. So I'm still just going to reject those things. Then you're willfully disobeying God. If like, I, we think of like our, we have a good friend who would say, well, that's not the Jesus that I I pray to because he like in his mind, what he's created or what she's created is a Jesus of the things he likes or she likes about right. it, out of the service. So she's picked and choose verses. But by doing that, you're rejecting all the other things. You're purposely disobeying God and the rest of God's word. Right. And so you can't do that because at that point you're now in willful disobedience, which the Bible does say what willful disobedience gets you. Right. right? And so I think, I, I think it's one of those things when we start thinking about it this way, I thought you said it's so good that it's all or nothing. It's, you have to take the whole or you have to take none of it. And so it fundamentally comes down to, do you believe there's a God? And right. if so, has he revealed himself to us? That's exactly it. And that's, and so that's what I would say is 
um, if you believe God exists, you, you can either choose that he either created the world and then took his hands off the wheel and he's kind of like leaving it, or you can believe that he revealed himself to us, right? So any God who created would have had to have revealed himself to us. And, and then the question is, how did he reveal himself to us? Well, what we have are the scriptures and the scriptures claim that God revealed himself to us through his written word. And then ultimately, this is Hebrews 1, through the living word, Jesus. And the written word bears witness to the living word and the living word bears witness to the written word. And so ultimately God has revealed himself in his word. And if that's not enough for you, if that's not enough for you, then you're going against God's design for how he has revealed himself. So, well, We're the Rebels. We didn't point out the other podcasts in our in our network, so check us out, obviously, but there is the Re- Awakening Reformation podcast, the Fathers of Faith podcast, and our blogs every week. Feel free to check us out on the on Facebook, on Instagram, also on our website, rebelaliancemedia.com. Um, we also have some new things coming down the pipeline that we're not going to spoil yet, but keep checking the website because there are new things coming. Um, thanks for listening, guys.